Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go with Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you the same. We come to you today to talk about the New York Knicks, and that's it. It's a solo pod. It's just me. It's not going to be a long one. It's going to be a relatively short one. I know I say that sometimes, and it still goes long, but this will be relatively quick, but I had to hop on to talk about the New York Knicks, to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, and that game one which brought the heat, man. It brought the excitement. The garden was popping off. It was actually insane. I was very jealous of anybody who was lucky enough to be at that game, at least for the first 47 minutes, uh, as it didn't end how Knicks fans wanted it to. And maybe some of it we saw coming. And it's really easy to be negative right now. It really is. But I don't think that's the whole story. We're going to get into it. Because I think off the jump, if you looked at Twitter, you know, or, or group chats with your buddies, within five minutes of the game's final whistle, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of question marks about why some things happened the way they did or why some things didn't happen. The The number one thing being the Frank Nilakina, you know, plug and play into the last seconds of the game, the biggest possession of the game, a guy who played a total of not even a whole minute for the game, he came in at the very end of the, the first half for a defensive possession, did fine, and then came in in the same regard with nine seconds left to guard Trey Young on an ISO ball play, basically, coming in completely cold off the bench. And I'm going to get into the, the whole thing, the whole big picture look, but quickly on the Frank Nilakina front, it, it's pretty simple how this works. If you're a fan sitting at home and you've been watching the New York Knicks or Maybe you kind of keep an eye on the Knicks, and now you're tuned in for the playoffs. doesn't really matter. You probably have an opinion of Frank Nilakina. Some people, like myself, have a high opinion of Frank Nilakina. think he can do some things on the basketball court, specifically on the defensive end. Then there are a lot of people who are sick and tired of it and think that he's been given chance after chance without really deserving it. Right? And, and basically what I'm seeing here and what I'm uh, observing from Twitter and my friends where you land on Frank Nilakina before today or before last night's game, I should say, is where you landed at the end of the game. But realistically, if you're trying to be honest, you're trying to be objective here, you're not going to change your opinion or really put that much weight into what happened on that final play. My guy Frank Nilakina came in absolutely ice cold to go against one of the league's most shifty players. Trey Young is literally like top five in shiftiness, perhaps. He gets to the free throw line at a ridiculous clip, which we'll get into in a minute. His floater game is great. He can step back and hit the three. And you take a guy who has played 30 seconds so far in the game and put him into the last play of the game. It, it really set Frank up to fail, put him in a bad spot. We also didn't have Noel at full health to give that help defense that you see. Uh, he, do, he does so great uh, so frequently. So there was a lot of factors that went into that final play that really put the Knicks in a tough position to succeed and put Frank Nilakina in a tough position to succeed. That final nine seconds, that final possession, doesn't change my mind that I think Frank should be playing over Alfred Payton. Alfred Payton's a zero. He's got no juice 
on offense, he can't shoot, and he's not helping you get into your offense, which it was that was his thing, right? He's going to grind and be a solid defender, and he's going to help you get into your offense. Well, guess what? In the playoffs, he doesn't help you get into your offense, and he doesn't help being a second or tertiary, secondary or tertiary player on offense either because he can't catch and shoot. He's not great at attacking a closeout, and no one's really closing out on him anyway. So what is his purpose? I'm really curious to see, as many Knicks fans are, will he be starting come Wednesday night? My bet is that he is going to start. I think that's a mistake. I think he should be taken out from that starting lineup. And really, if you're out of the starting lineup, there's no reason for him to play. In During the regular season, it makes sense to have a guy who's perhaps a uh, a placeholder starter. He kind of gets in. He does some of the things you like well. Some other things, you know, you take it or leave it. And then when the game matters most, it's going to be Rose. It's going to be quickly. It's going to be Burke. So Peyton doesn't really matter. Well, now it's the playoffs. You don't have those 10, 15, 20 minutes that Peyton was getting the past couple weeks to play around with. He played eight minutes tonight, and that still felt like too many. He's 0 for 3 from the field. He had one assist. It was literally a zero, if not a negative, for the Knicks to have him on the, on the floor tonight. It's time to make a decision. If you don't see him playing in the second half or any sort of meaningful minutes, why is he playing even eight minutes a game? Doesn't make any sense. I think there'll be a move there. I think there'll be some more Alec Burks, perhaps, even though he played 26. Some more quickly, perhaps, even though he played 21. And Derrick Rose played 38, so you can't give him much more than that. Right? Derrick Rose was fantastic. He really was. He And he has been mostly the entire season. So, to wrap up the Frank stuff real quick, I still believe he should be getting those looks over Alfred Payton because of what he can do on defense. And to judge him off that one play in the end of the fourth quarter where he didn't even play 30 seconds to that point in the game, I don't want to hear it. I'm not here for none of that. If you don't like Frank, that's fine. Don't cite the last play. Come on. Guy came in ice cold to guard one of the best players or best offensive players, let me caveat, in the, in the league. It's, it's a bad spot for Frank, and it didn't go his way. It didn't go the Knicks' way. And guess what? You have to learn from that if you're Coach Tom Thibodeau. And there has to be a lot of learning from game one. Because with all the negativity and with all the, the layups of trashing on some of the decisions that were made or the easy, easy outs, easy jokes to make about the Knicks or Trey Young trying to say this and that about the crowd getting real quiet, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's another game on Wednesday, and there's been plenty of times where a team has lost game one, went on to control the series. That should not be a worry. The worry should be simple. What is Tibbs doing at the point guard position? Are we losing 10 minutes a game with Alfred Payton? And then, after that, are we changing up our offensive scheme? Will the Knicks come out with a more pointed attack? This is something that I've been saying all across last week in preparation and in preview of this series. There are two people who are incredibly important to the Atlanta Hawks offense. Incredibly important. In fact, Lou Williams, one of those guys, I know you're thinking Trey Young, Lou Williams is one of those guys too. He came in and scored seven points so fast that the game went from in the Knicks control to, damn, that lead we just took really went back to nothing really fast because he scored seven points in a row, and we couldn't stop him, and he made a couple nice passes. The other guy's Trey Young. We know what he can do. Nine for nine from the free throw line. And he even got a couple ticky-tack ones probably towards the end there that are frustrating for Knicks fans, but it is what it is. That's what happens in today's NBA. We know what Trey Young could do. Trey Young and Lou Will are imperative 
to this offensive success for the Atlanta Hawks. I think Bogdanovich is the guy who is an absolute dog and probably can't be stopped in many ways. He's probably their most consistent offensive force, not named Trey Young, that also cannot be picked apart on the other other end of the floor. So that's my point here. Bogdanovich is going to be there, and he's going to be doing some things, and he's going to be grinding on defense. Trey Young and Lou Williams are going to be there on offense, and they're going to be doing some things on offense, and they're going to be making you pay for it. But what is absolutely imperative to the Knicks flipping this series back in their favor sooner than later is that when Trey Young and Lou Will are on the floor, you go at their necks every single chance you get. And there just was not enough pointed attack at those two guys on the defensive end. How many times? Think about it. I mean, I don't know if you were focusing on this. You, you may have not been. I was thinking about this leading up and saying that this was going to be a huge place for the Knicks to take advantage of their size and strength and their physicality. But how many times do you remember Trey Young, who he was guarding, and where he was on the floor defensively? Because I was paying attention a lot. And I'll tell you where he was a lot. He was standing in the corner next to Reggie Bullock, next to R.J. Barrett, next to somebody like that, just waiting, standing around, maybe getting in the passing lanes, doing not much because he wasn't being put in situations where he was asked to do that much. That's a win for the Hawks. It's not a win for the Knicks. There were a few times where Alec Burks and R.J. Barrett got the ball finally on Trey Young and they got right into the paint or they got right into an easy mid-range jumper because he can't guard them. He can't guard any of the guards on this team who are not named Alfred Payton or Frank Nilakina. He can't guard R.J. Barrett. He can't guard Derrick Rose. He can't guard Alec Burks. He can't guard Emmanuel quickly. And more importantly than that, in my opinion, he will be miserable trying to guard Julius Randle. I want to see Julius Randle at the top of the key, whoever's guarding him, whether it be Hunter, whether it be Gallinari, whether it be Capella, doesn't really matter. I want to see whoever has Trey Young on them to come up from the corner set that screen for Julius Randle or set that screen for Derrick Rose and make Trey Young get involved defensively. Put him in that action. We saw it over and over again for years now with Stephen Curry. We saw J.R. Smith for the Cavs coming out of the corner to set a screen for LeBron or to set a screen for Kyrie Irving or whoever it may be. Or, uh, you know, Eric Gordon coming out to set a screen for James Harden or P.J. Tucker coming out to set a screen for PJ, uh, for James Harden to get Steph Curry on James Harden. And Steph Curry's a better defender than Trey Young. He's got, he's got better size. He's got a little bit more smarts there at this point in his career or at that point in his career, if you will. You, we need to see Trey Young get put in that action to get put through the cycle, have to defend the pick and roll, to get switched on to Julius Randle a couple times a game because those plays, that physicality that you put on him, that you force him to bring to the table as a defender, makes his life a lot harder when he's now on the other side of the court trying to do everything on offense. And Lou Williams is the same thing. I mean, he only plays 15 minutes or so a night, so it's not as easy. But when he comes in, you cannot allow him to have a seven-point swing by himself without at least going at him on defense and getting some of those points back. There were a lot of times where, and especially I'm, I'm thinking of that one specific end of quarter where Lou Will scored seven in a row, where you know Randall and Rose and Quickly or whoever had the ball, 
they're going at Gallinari, who's a big dude. They're going at DeAndre Hunter. They're getting real close to Clint Capella near the rim. That's not who you need to attack. You don't want to attack DeAndre Hunter. We're not trying to prove that we can score on their best defender. We want to get our best offensive players against their crap defenders, which should be a lot easier or at minimum should be a much bigger uh, emphasis point for this offense. We have to see it. If I keep seeing Trey Young able to just hang out in the corner with R.J. Barrett just standing there or Reggie Bullock just standing there and Trey's just like waiting around for an offensive re- uh, for a rebound, for a, uh, a push out and him to get in transition, like that's going to be frustrating. That's going to give them advantages that they don't need nor deserve. You need to get him in that action. You need to make his life hell on defense. Because I'll tell you what, Steph Curry has a lot of pride, man. And when you saw him constantly, constantly, I'm not talking one play. I'm not talking twice a quarter. I'm talking five or six times in a row, maybe. You just bring his guy up and you force him to get involved defensively. It's, it could be demoralizing. It could take away his confidence. All of a sudden, he could be in foul trouble. And these things completely flip the series on their head. Completely. Now, that's just one key for me that I was thinking about actively leading into this game and unfortunately didn't go how I had hoped it would in game one for the New York Knicks. They weren't doing those pointed plays, those pointed actions of going right at Lou Will, right at Trey Young. But that will be a huge, huge win and should be a huge emphasis point for this team moving forward. And think about Julius Randle's night. Not very good, right? Not a great playoff debut for Julius Randle. My guy was 6 for 23, 15 points. 6 for 23, man. I mean, he took 8 more shots than he had points. That's not good. Reggie Bullock was 3 for 9, 0 for 5 from 3. But wouldn't it be a great confidence booster for Julius Randle to get a couple of those ISOs at the top of the key with Trey Young on, on him right there, looking to his right and to his left, waiting? Is, is somebody here to switch back with me? Is somebody can, can we switch back? And then now the defense is all over the place. Randle's got a play, uh, place to go in the lane. That has to happen. That has to happen Wednesday night. There's no more time for waiting. There's no more time to just, you know, take what the defense gives you. You have to make the defense give you what you want in this scenario. You have to. There's too many other good defenders on this team. Bogdanovich is no slouch. Got better size. DeAndre Hunter is obviously really good. Clint Capella, obviously really good. John Collins isn't special defensively, but would you rather go at him? Or would you rather go at Lou Williams or Trey Young? Let's be honest, right? So I just went off for a minute there. Let me regroup. Obviously, we're on Subway Sports Talk. My name is Pete Kennedy. The game was awesome. The energy was awesome. And I think it was a good wake-up call for Knicks fans too because I think there was a bunch of Knicks fans out there who felt real confident going into this series. And a lot of people, myself included, were trying to tell you This is not the same Atlanta Hawks team that the Knicks beat three times this series, and you saw it here tonight. Now, they played a a decent to solid game. You know, they probably played a B-plus game. And outside of Alec Burks and Derrick Rose, the Knicks played a a C-minus, a a D-plus. It was kind of ugly. I mentioned it before, Randall, 6 for 23. 2 for 6 from 3, that's actually not terrible, but 15 points on 23 shots is ugly. Only two free throws. Bullock, 0 for 5 from 3. 
No, you know, Peyton doesn't shoot threes. He's only played eight minutes. R.J. Barrett, one for six from three. He had an okay game otherwise. 11 rebounds. Obi Toppin, really solid 12 minutes. Really solid. Taj Gibson, great 24 minutes off the bench. He, you know, he does what Taj Gibson does, and he's not going to win you the game, but he's not going to lose you. He's going to help it. Obviously, Derrick Rose is very solid. Needed him, despite the 8 for 16, feeling like it should get you more than 17 points, but he got no free throws. Alec Burks was the only guy who can get to the line. He was great. Absolutely incredible game from Alec Burks. 27 points on 13 shots. He was just, I mean, without him, there is no game tonight, right? There is no close game. There's no nail-biter. There's no reason to sit here and talk about one or two specific things the Knicks need to do better because without Alec Burks' efforts tonight, this was perhaps a blowout, as it should have been. Quickly, pretty solid, had a good run or two, and then kind of disappeared, but really solid, looked comfortable for his first time out. But if you look at this team now, it's really easy to be negative about losing game one, but you just shot 33% from three. You only got to the free throw line 15 times. Eight of those were Alec Burks. And you just lost by two points with the worst game of Julius Randle's season. Almost easily. An 0 for 5 from your best shooter this season in Reggie Bullock. And only lost by two. That by itself, mixed with what I just talked about, about some of the things you can do to attack that defense, has to make you feel pretty good about this. Series do not end after one game. And yes, they may have just gotten home court advantage back by stealing one of the first two in the garden. But if you go out there and win Wednesday night, all you've got to do is steal one back in Atlanta, and it's not like Atlanta is uh, the home court advantage of all home court advantages. It's a solid place, you know. The Knicks can go in there and win a game, maybe two. So there's no reason to panic yet. But there's a great reason to watch Wednesday night's game locked in for a few things. And if those things aren't changed, if they're not corrected, if they're not looking better, then you can start to worry. But a Julius Randle, really bad night, you don't have to worry yet. If he has two bad games in a row, then maybe we say, all right, the playoffs are big for him right now, and it's not working. He's got to either do something different or just get back to the offseason and regroup because if he has two games like this, six for 23, that's reason to worry. Shaquille O'Neal said it on uh, a TNT I was listening to last week or watching last week during the play-in tournament. You know, if you're a great player, you can have a bad game. You don't have two bad games in a row. You don't do it. You don't allow it to happen. So this is Julius Randle's opportunity to get out here on Wednesday night and say, I'm great. I'm not a fluke. I'm not a one-hit wonder. I'm an all-NBA player this year, and I plan on being an all-NBA player next year. And I plan on doing it right now in the playoffs too. So he has that opportunity. It's not time to worry or hit a panic button on Julius Randle until he has two bad games in a row or three bad games in a row. Because for all we know about what he's done this season for this team and for this city, realistically, he's not having two bad games in a row. He's coming out with focus, with energy, like he always has. Now, will there be a conversation about his legs and what he has left in the tank because of the grind he put on during the season? We might get there. There were a few moments in the final weeks where I was like, damn, he's looking tired. And that's fair, man. My guy has been grinding most minutes in the league, right? But if you saw him night in, night out this season, you have to go in there and feel real good about Julius Randle to come back to play Wednesday night. There's also 
some statistics on Julius Randle and how he fares on one night or no nights rest versus two nights rest versus one whatever you you hear what I'm saying and in fact he's kind of against conventional wisdom in that regard where his stats are actually way better with less rest and now obviously this is the biggest rest portion the Knicks have had all year right they didn't play since uh the last game of the season against Boston a week ago they had a full week off and listen to these splits for Julius Randle on no days off like back to back games 25 points, 10 uh, rebounds, 5 assists. One day rest, 24 points, 10 and 6. Two days rest, 22, 11 and 4. Three plus days rest, he's down to 20 points per game. Five points less than a back-to-back. Now, obviously, to Wednesday is not a back-to-back. It's not one day off. It's a couple. But you feel way more in a rhythm going into game two playing against the same team again rather than just having a full week off, which is totally different for any NBA player, let alone a guy who's played 9 million minutes this year. In those games, only played five games with three-plus days rest this season, he was a a minus three and a half, which is not very good. In all other days off or or days rest in his splits, he was a positive. Plus six on back-to-backs, just under plus two on one day off and plus nine on two days off. So you got to hope that he gets into that rhythm, he gets his mojo back a little bit, and Wednesday night we're talking about the all-NBA Julius Randle that we've been seeing this entire season. Obviously, similarly goes for Reggie Bullock. You need him to hit shots. You need it. But to talk about this Hawks team really quick, and just one, one more idea about how to contain them and how to make life harder on them, now, Bogdanovich was 7-15. He was 4-9 for nine from 3. He was a plus 17 tonight. I thought he was kind of quiet, so perhaps it's a good matchup for him with Bullock and Burks and Barrett kind of matching his size really well. I think it's it's important to, to do what you have to with him, but obviously when you talk about this team on offense, it's all about what do we do with this pick and roll with Trey Young and letting him get to the floater over and over again and letting him get to a free lane over and over again. I don't know if switching's the answer, but there were a lot of times where Alfred Payton, Derrick Rose, Emmanuel Quickly were all two steps behind Trey Young as he was going into the paint untouched, uncontested. Whatever needs to be done there, maybe maybe you have to force him to shoot a little bit. Maybe you have to go under every once in a while to just give him a different look because chasing over the screen, which seemed to have been the plan, was not working because my guy hit like nine floaters during the, during game one. Right, That's what it's all about. You go back into the lab, you watch the film, and you have to figure out what do we do on that pick and roll to not allow him wide open floaters over and over and over again. Now, they shot 12 of 34 from three, 35%, pretty average. You know, like this give about the same. They were 11 from 12 from free throw line. Not a lot of fouls called in this game until the last four minutes when Trey Young got eight free throws in a row. So, defensively, it was solid. Offensively, it was meh. There were some good things. There were a lot of good Alec Burke moments, Derrick Rose moments. There needs to be a more pointed attack where you make them get into the positions that you want them. We're not in the business of taking what the defense gives you right now. You have to make them give you what you want. That has to be the ultimate goal. That's what it has to be about right now for the New York Knicks entering game two. 
But uh, really quickly, I just want to go through a couple things I saw from the, the followers at Subway Sports Talk on Instagram and Twitter. Put up the story. Wanted to hear from you guys, see what you guys had to say about this. So I heard first from, from my boy Akash. Congratulations, Akash. Just graduated med school. Heartbroken. He agrees with the Frank take. He thinks Trey got bailed out on the foul, uh, with our, especially the R.J. Barrett foul. And he basically says, like I said, you know, one bad game for for Randall and Reggie Bullock, it's not the end of the world. And he believes Tibbs will coach them hard and they'll come back ready to play. I have to agree with my boy Akash right there. Also, Anthony Mangi, he said no. no. <laughs> I wrote the, the prompt for reference here was what are your thoughts and uh, reactions to what you want to see, you know, what you saw in game one, what you want to see in game two, three, and so on. He said not put Frank in and you'll be okay. Now, Mangi. I, I can't I can't feel that right there, man. I don't agree with that. I just think maybe you're not a Frank guy, and you don't think he has it. And in that case, I have to allow it because Frank hasn't done enough consistently to prove the confidence that some of us have in him, right? But if you're talking about one play at the end of the fourth quarter after not playing for 48 minutes, it's really hard to feel that. I can't I can't really get behind it. It's not particularly fair to him and. It's not really fair to Coach Tibbs. Uh, well, it, it, in, in the sense that Tibbs put him in a spot to fail. Something that he's done really infrequently this season, putting his players in positions to fail and not in positions to succeed, that hasn't happened from Tibbs yet. It happened in game one. We need to see that changed, and I'm just not here to blame that on Frank Nilakina. Also on Twitter, I heard from my, from my buddy Mike Sarnelli, uh, his name is Nathan as well. It always throws me off. Anyways, Mike said he couldn't agree more. Thanks, Mike. The Knicks played bad and almost won. Atlanta played their normal game. And I think that's a great point. That's kind of what I've been trying to get at this whole time. He put it into a succinct one-paragraph uh, one tweet there. Knicks played a bad game, lost by two. The Hawks played a nice game, a solid game, a decent game. Not great, not bad, decent game. And it was tight. If you come out Wednesday... And we're told the Knicks are going to play above average basketball and the Hawks play the same game that they just played. You have to feel good about your chances here for the New York Knicks. So I also heard from my boy, Alec, Alec Argento. You guys heard him on the podcast. And this one in hindsight is a little bit tougher to talk about because of the result. But he said, and I quote, I've been to a bunch of Yankee playoff games. And I'll tell you, this is different. We asked how. How is this different? Because Yankee playoff games are special. And he's like, I've been to a lot. And this is different here at MSG. He goes, it's very intense, very loud. Everyone is hanging on every play. And even just watching as a fan on TV here, I, I saw multiple tweets, multiple texts, people who are not in the arena going, holy shit, it is bumping in there. And if you think Knicks fans are not bringing it for game two, you're mistaken. And you haven't been in New York very long, perhaps. Because the New York Knicks faithful are out here screaming for Alexi Shved. We're freaking out that the Knicks beat the Mavericks two years ago when they got KP back for the first time. And, and that game meant nothing and the Knicks were terrible. We were pulling for Marcus Morris like he was Walt Clive Frazier. <laughs> the New York Knicks fans will be ready to go. They were excited for game one, playoff basketball back in the garden. 
according to my buddy Alec, who I can confirm has been to a bunch of playoff baseball games, man, I'm just jealous because I want to know about that difference, about that MSG playoff vibe. I've never seen a playoff game for basketball for the Knicks in MSG. Hey, man, I don't know if I got a, a G to drop to get to one of these games, but I'm enjoying it from my couch. It is incredibly intense and exciting. And every time the Knicks shoot, every time Noel goes up for a block, you feel the electricity. Now, we did feel it get sucked out when Trey Young hit that floater to win it. But it's no worry. Game two comes up Wednesday. This team comes to play. The fans come ready to let their freaking heads fly off because they're screaming so loud. And it's going to be a great time. The series is far from over. It's going to be a long one. If we learned anything tonight, even in the Knicks' bad game, when they don't have their stuff, when they don't got all of their wheels firing, they still are going to be in it. And they're still going to make your life hell. Now it's time to take that energy, point it in the right direction, and make the Hawks' lives hell. They have what it takes. A couple more jump shots fall. That same level of energy. And this could be a 1-1 series going back to Atlanta with a couple more great basketball games to play. That's all I got. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. My name is Pete Kennedy. Hopefully you enjoyed I said it'd be quick. It wasn't that quick. I, I, I'd be talking out here. I'll tell you that much. I don't know what I'm always saying, but I, I'd be talking out here. And this was fun. Shout out to Obi because I never would have had faith to him to, to, to make it happen in the playoffs. He did just that. IQ looked incredibly comfortable. That made me feel really good. And now I'm ready to roll. Wednesday night. Let's get after Trey Young. Let's get after Lou Williams. Make their lives hell on defense when they're in the game. For Trey, you get about 34 minutes of opportunity, 36 minutes of opportunity to make his life really hard. It's time to do it. Don't take what the defense gave you. Make them give you what you want. It's time. New York basketball is back. Playoffs are back in MSG. You can't beat it. It's incredible. Subway Sports Talk. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hit me with your rating review on the Apple Podcast app. Hit me on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk, T-L-K. And on Instagram at Subway Sports Talk, T-A-L-K. Spelled the regular way. That's all we got. Cheers.